Welcome, and thank you for joining us on the City Point Church Sermon Podcast, where our desire is to help you follow Jesus. We are so glad that you are here, and wherever you are listening from, we believe that God has something in store for you through today's message. The title of this series is Gospel on the Ground. We want the gospel to get traction. We want the gospel to have handles. We want, it, we want you to be able to put the gospel in your pocket and take it to work with you on Monday morning. Like, what does it look like? James is a pastor of the very first church in the city of Jerusalem, and he's writing this. It, it kind of feels to me almost like a highlight reel of some of his best sermons, and he's, just, he's put them all into this letter, and he's sending them to these Jewish followers of Jesus, these Messianic Jews, these first-generation Christians, and he's wanting to instill in them the what and the how of the gospel. What does it look like? How is it fleshed out in your everyday life? So it's super practical, super practical. What does the gospel look like when it infiltrates every area of your life? That's what the book of James is really all about. So it's the gospel on the ground, not just theory, not just ideas, but real life gospel application. Verse 9 through 11 is where we're going to pick it up today. I've entitled this message, It's All Temporary. It's all temporary. Look at it with me, if you would, in verse 9. James writes, Let's Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation, and the rich in his humiliation. Because, like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass, its flower falls and its beauty perishes so also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. And may God bless the reading and now the declaration of his word. If you're keeping notes and writing some things down, and I often encourage you to do that, this is the big idea. It sits over top of this entire text. We firmly hold gospel truth in a temporary world. We firmly hold gospel truth in a temporary world world. I've been taking my oldest son, Brayden, to the gym with me recently. I'll go and I'll do the free weights and he'll go to the basketball court and he'll shoot some hoops for about an hour while I'm in there. And I got done what I was doing uh, about a week ago and I went into the, to the courts there where he was shooting hoops and I said, hey, let's go. A little 1v1 here. My 11-year-old son versus 39-year-old dad. Like, what could go wrong? So we go at it, and after a pretty intense back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, I think we played to 11 or something, Braden almost beat me. Now the key, now hang on, the key word there is the word almost. He did not, in fact, beat me, but he almost beat me. (laughs) I didn't use that word. So that word almost means two things. It means two things. Number one, it means that his time at the gym is paying off. He's getting better. And number two, it means that the skills that I had when I was younger are quickly fading. (laughs) They're temporary. Think about how much of life is temporary. How many things in life are temporary? Our cars break down. Our homes, things wear out, have to be replaced. Even physically, our health as we get older just deteriorates. Things that didn't used to make noises in our bodies start to make noises. Things just wear out. Kids, kids grow up. Their time at home is temporary. They move out. You become an empty nester. 
your career that was so exciting in the early days, now you're at the end of it and you're about to retire. And even that career that you spent decades investing in and, and, and raising a family with, with the, the, the resources that you got from that career, now all of a sudden it's temporary. It's coming to an end. And if you think long enough and if you think hard enough, really everything in life that is physical and that is material is temporary, including your basketball skills. And I don't know what it is about human nature, but we have this tendency to want to hold firmly to those things that are temporary. There's something about the good old days in our mind, isn't there? Like if things could always be the way that they used to be, the good old days. But if, if, you, if, you, if you stop and think about the good old days, they usually were not as good as you remember them to be. They had their problems too. But we want the good old days. We want things the way that they used to be. We want to hold tightly to these things that are temporary. And so because we, we white-knuckle these things that are temporary in life, we don't know how to respond when, like sand, they just start to sift through our fingers. And when we start to realize the reality that all things in life that are physical and material are, in fact, temporary. They have a shelf life. So Pastor James today wants to give us some gospel truth. If you've ever heard somebody use that phrase, that's gospel truth, what they're saying is that whatever they said or what they're about to say is absolutely certain. It's permanent. It's binding. It's lasting. So James is going to give us some gospel truth. And we hold firmly to gospel truth in a world that is temporary, that is fading, that is diminishing around us. So what is the gospel truth that James wants us to hold firmly to? It's going to come right from our text. I want you to see it this morning. The outline is going to look like this. This is gospel truth. Number one, a humble life still possesses spiritual wealth. I want you to see it in verse 9. He says, Let the lowly brother boast, rejoice in his exaltation. The lowly brother. What is that word speaking of there? That word lowly speaks of a, 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 a poverty. It speaks of a humility. Not necessarily all financial, but just how life sometimes in and of itself brings us to this place of lowliness, a humble life. Many of the readers that would have been reading this letter from Pastor James, they would have been people who used to be people of means and people of wealth. But because they had made the decision to follow Jesus, much of that was stripped away. And if you go back even to verse 1, you see that James is writing to the 12 tribes in the dispersion. So now they've been dispersed. They no longer are in Jerusalem. They are now settling in Syria and northern, northern Palestine. And so they're not in their, the place where they were raised and where they were born. And now they've been scattered and much of that wealth has been lost. And so they are lowly and they have a humble life. We don't talk about this much, and many churches don't tend to preach this topic, but there is a cost to discipleship. Becoming a follower of Jesus is free, but following him is not. Let that sink in. Becoming a follower of Jesus is of no cost to you. Jesus pays it all. But following him, we take up our cross we bear the shame and reproach of being a person who is following Jesus, a person of the way. There is a cost to discipleship. A young man came to Jesus in Matthew 19, and he says to Jesus, and it's almost like he's, he's wanting to like 
put his resume on display here for Jesus. And he's like, hey, Jesus, I've kept all of the law, all of it. What do I still lack? Like, look at me. Look at what I've accomplished. And Jesus responds to him in a way that maybe he did not expect. Jesus says, if you would be perfect, go sell what you possess and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and follow me. Unfortunately, this man had a lot of wealth. Jesus knew that. And he didn't want to give up that wealth. He didn't want to accept the cost of discipleship, the cost of following Jesus. Now understand, Jesus was not calling this man necessarily to a life of poverty. And the, the goal is not that you and I would be living a life of poverty. The goal is that Jesus was trying to call this man to the cost of discipleship, to a life of lowliness, to a life of humility. Are you, sir, willing to live that kind of a life that would cost you all of your material goods? And it revealed, of course, that he was not willing to do that. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 4.13, we have become and are still like the scum of the world, the refuse of all things. Christians, by the world's estimation, do not have a whole lot of value. But I've got good news for you this morning. The world's last pick is God's first pick. You remember back in elementary school playing like kickball at recess or maybe dodgeball in gym class? There was this natural order of selection, right? You'd, you'd pick these team captains and there was this natural order of selection where it was always the tallest and the strongest down to the smallest and the weakest. That, that was always the order. And, and if you happened to be down towards the end of that order, it was a very humiliating experience when there were like two of you left and the other person gets picked. The world's last pick is God's first pick. So while we may live a life of humility and we may live a life of lowliness and we may, we may welcome the cost of discipleship and even the reproach that that might bring from the world, God chooses you first. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1.27, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human may boast in the presence of God. That boasting is in their own ability and in their own might. And when God chooses the lowly and when God chooses the humble, we have nothing with which to boast about. So yes, there is a cost. James says, let the lowly brother, that's the reality of following Jesus, but let me say to you also this morning that while there is a cost to discipleship, there is also a reward to discipleship. And that's the second half of verse 9. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation. Now here's bragging in the Bible. <laughs> What's going on here? I thought bragging was like not good. Pride is not good. We are not boasting here in what we have accomplished we are boasting in how the gospel has exalted us to the status of sons and daughters of the Most High God. So while we might live a life of humility and we might live a life of lowliness as followers of Jesus because of the cost involved in following him, we can boast and we can rejoice and we can brag in the reality of all that Christ has accomplished for us. That's why we sing the way we sing. That's why we lift our hands. That's why sometimes we just can't stand still. Because Christ has exalted us to a place of high position in the gospel. So let me speak to you this morning, your position of exaltation. 
Let me speak over you the truth of what Christ has accomplished and given to you in the gospel. You have been forgiven of all of your sin, including the ones that you've not yet committed. You have been made holy through the perfect sacrifice of Jesus Christ. You have been adopted into the family, which means you have all of the privileges of a natural-born son or daughter. You have been made at peace with God through Christ. You are dead to the law, which means that you are no longer under the law and you are no longer supervised by the law. All of the righteous requirements of the law were completed in Christ and given to you, so you are now right with God, which means you are free. You are free to walk after the Spirit. You are no longer bound to the Mosaic law. You are a new creation alive in Christ. You are more than a conqueror. You have a new and an obedient heart. You have an eternal life, which means you have the life of Christ. You have the constant presence of the Holy Spirit. He is your life coach, guiding you and directing you. You have been blessed with all spiritual blessings. You are seated with Christ in the heavenlies. You are hidden with Christ in God. You have an eternal inheritance that is waiting for you, that is rightfully yours, that cannot be taken away. This is the gospel, and you can boast in that. You can celebrate that. Thank you. You might look at your life. Listen, church, you might look at your life and think that there's not much to brag about. You might look at your life and think, I'm the last person that would be picked for the kickball team. If God had a kickball team, I'd be the last man standing. That's how you might evaluate your life. But the final valuation of your life is not what you think of you. It's not what the world thinks of you. It is what Christ thinks of you because of the gospel. Because of what Christ has accomplished for you and gifted to you. Do you sit in that? Do you soak in that? Do you celebrate in that? So yes, it might be a life of lowliness, but let the lowly brother or sister boast and rejoice in his exaltation. This is what Christ has done. This is gospel truth. So Jesus said it first. As he stood on that mountainside with that crowd of people who had accumulated when he said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He's essentially saying the exact same thing that James says in verse 9. This is gospel truth. A humble life still possesses spiritual wealth. Number two. The second gospel truth that Pastor James wants us to see here is that lessons from trials are more valuable than riches. What you learn from humiliation and trials and difficulty is more valuable to you than all of the wealth of this life. Look at it in verse 10. He says, And the rich, in his humiliation, because like a flower of grass, he will pass away. Now the noun and the verb from verse 9 continues into verse 10. So you kind of have to read them together and insert the noun and insert the verb. So verse 9, let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich brother boast in his humiliation. That's what's going on there. He's speaking both verse 9 and verse 10 are spoken to brothers, which means they're followers of Jesus, they're Christians. 
One is in a position of lowliness, but he or she can boast by focusing on their spiritual wealth. The other is in a position of physical, earthly wealth, but they can boast in their trials because those trials and those moments of humiliation remind them of their dependence on Christ. Let me say this first. It's okay for Christians to have wealth. The point that James is not trying to make here is that God only blesses the poor and that God wants you to sell everything and just kind of live on the streets and that's the only way that you'll have the blessing from God. That's not what he's saying here. As a matter of fact, in chapter 2, we will study that he's going to address wealthy people who are coming into the congregation. In the book of Acts, there was a couple named Priscilla and Aquila, a woman and, a, and her husband, and they were, they were people of means. They owned a home, which was, which was rare, and they were, they were able to house the church in their home. So God can take material goods and wealth of this world, and it can be leveraged for the advancement of the kingdom. So it's okay that Christians can have wealth, but the point is our natural tendency is to boast in what we have accumulated and so when circumstances and trials and difficulties and humiliation comes along, let us boast in the lessons that we learn from those trials because those lessons have greater value than all of the material goods that we might accumulate in this life. Lessons from trials are more valuable than riches. I want to take verse 10 and I want, I want you to see it in the greater context quickly here. Chapter 1, this, these first several paragraphs, they're all about trials. If you glance up to verse 2, James says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Verse 2 kind of sets the context for this entire chapter. Then in verse 5, he says, If any of you lacks wisdom, the idea is that you lack wisdom in your trials, so you can ask God. And then now in verse 10, he's saying, Boast in your humiliation. This is one of those trials of various kinds. Boast in it. Brag in it. Because it's teaching you Christ-likeness. So not all humiliation is bad. The humiliation that James is talking about here is not the humiliation that a 39-year-old dad might experience when his 11-year-old son schools him on the basketball court. That's not the type of humiliation here. This isn't the type of humiliation when you text a really good friend about that person who really gets on your nerves that you can't stand, only to realize that you texted the person that you can't stand that really gets on your nerves. That, that's not quite the humiliation that James is talking about here. This humiliation is when you feel the intense, frail vulnerability of being human. When a relationship that your entire life was wrapped around is lost. And now all of a sudden you have to find dependence in Christ and not in that person. That's humiliation. When a loved one, a spouse, or a parent, or, or a child dies, and now all of a sudden the piece of your soul feels like it's been ripped out, that is humiliation. When as a 40-something-year-old adult, you can't make ends meet, so you've got to slap an Uber sticker on your car and cart people around to their place and their destination because you've got to make a little extra money, that's humiliation. When a terminal sickness is discovered and your mind begins to race with all of the what-ifs, that's humiliation. When an aging adult who's always taken care of their children is now being taken care of those that they've always taken care of, and that sense and that feeling of humiliation, that's what James is speaking of. When you realize that the life that you thought you had control of, now all of a sudden you don't possess control of that life. 
When those trials and when those difficulties come, friend, child of God, you can boast. It may not feel like it in the moment. And I'm not, I'm not wishing these experiences on you, and I'm not hoping them for you, but I will tell you that when you go through them, when you're paying attention to what God is trying to teach you, the value of what you learn is far greater than the riches of all of this life. Because after all, he says at the end of verse 10, like a flower of grass, he, the rich man, as well as all of his goods, will ultimately pass away. It's all temporary. So I have a question for you this morning. Are you paying attention? Are you paying attention to what God is trying to teach you in your trial? Maybe God is trying to teach you dependence on himself. Maybe God is trying to teach you that your dreams are not as good as his destiny. Maybe God is seeking to sift out the wants from the needs. You're holding to something firmly, thinking it's a need, and God's saying, that's actually a want. You don't need that. I'll take care of your needs. What is God teaching you? Are you paying attention to the lessons that God is trying to teach you? Don't be like that child in school who's doodling on the page or falling asleep in class and missing the point of the lesson. God is trying to teach us. God is trying to instruct us. God is seeking to mature us into the image of Christ. Maybe the lesson is just greater patience. Maybe the lesson is that you can take one step at a time instead of having to know the whole grand scheme of things. Are you listening? Are you learning? Are the lessons that God is trying to teach you through the humiliation, are those lessons sinking in? Don't miss them. Don't be so focused on the burden that you are carrying that you miss the lesson that God is trying to teach you. I want you to see what the prophet Jeremiah said. I'll put it up on the screen here. Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich boast in his riches, but let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me. Oh, listen, that is the lesson of all lessons to be learned through your trials. That you might understand and know God in a better way, in a truer way, in a richer way, in a more sincere way, in a closer way, in a more intimate way. He's teaching you about himself. When I was in high school and when I was in college, during the summers, I would work for my dad. My dad owned a business. It was a paint manufacturing business, and so I was his cheap labor, his cheaper labor, I guess. And so during the summers, I'd work for him, and one summer, he had a job that he wanted me to do. He had one of his warehouses, and he wanted to install an overhead hanging garage door that would go up, and it was a, it was a cinder block wall, and he wanted to install it there, so he enlisted me. He said, John, in the middle of the July heat and humidity north of Philadelphia, I want you to knock out the cinder block wall so that an overhead door can go in. So that was my task for that day. So the first thing I did is I went and got the forklift and I moved pallets of five-gallon buckets of paint. There was a lot of it in the warehouse because that's what my dad did. I had to move the pallets of paint out of the way so that I could get to the wall. So I moved them outside and I triple stacked these skids of five-gallon plastic buckets of paint. So visualize this with me. Each skid was two layers high of pails, these plastic pails. They were about 24, 12 to a layer, and then I triple stacked them. So there's six layers high of these plastic five-gallon buckets of paint filled with paint. I put them out 
on the asphalt in the July heat and humidity. And then I went inside and I got to work. Well, at one point, I took a little bit of a break and I went out and I was looking out over the, um, the, the, the parking lot area there and I was looking at the stack of paint and I'm kind of like tilting my head a little bit, like sort of looks like it's leaning a little bit. Doesn't look real straight up and down. And I kid you not, as I'm watching it, in what seemed like slow motion, I watched as one of those bottom buckets crumpled in the humidity and the heat and that entire stack of paint came toppling to the ground. Tens, if not hundreds of gallons of white paint splashed all over that asphalt. It got on the neighbor's building. It got on some random dude's boat that was parked. I don't know why it was parked there, but it was parked there. It shouldn't have been. It wouldn't have gotten paint on it if it hadn't been parked there. So that's his fault. I don't, I don't take blame for that. But everything else was my fault. Let me tell you, that was a moment of humiliation for me. I actually went home early that day. And my dad didn't fire me, but I did go home early that day. But let me tell you something. I learned a lesson that day that I will never forget. And today I share it with you so that you never make the same mistake. Do not ever triple stack plastic gallon buckets of paint in the July humidity and heat. That's the lesson I learned. I don't know what God is trying to teach you. You might look at your life circumstance and you're like, man, this hurts. This is humbling. This is painful. I hope nobody hears about this. But what God is teaching you is more valuable than any amount of money or stuff or material goods that you could accumulate in this life. Let the rich boast in his humiliation. Because just like that flower, just like that grass, it's going to fade like everything else. And the only thing worse than having to go through a trial is going through a trial and not learning the lesson. Going through a trial and not learning what God is trying to teach you. So are you listening? Are you paying attention? God is speaking. This is gospel truth. A humble life still possesses spiritual wealth. Lessons from trials, they're more valuable than riches. And number three, all natural things come to an end. All natural things come to an end. It's verse 11. Look at it there with me. For the sun rises with its scorching heat. I experienced that in July with those buckets of paint. And withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. James here is actually quoting the prophet Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 40. And he's using this, this metaphor. It's amazing. Pastors tend to do this. Ask my kids. I'm always using metaphors at home to try to like shed light on spiritual truth. So here he is doing it again, using Isaiah 40, this metaphor to try to shed light on the temporary nature of all things. And he uses this very strong, vivid language. He talks about the scorching heat, the withering grass, the falling flowers, the perishing beauty. Just as 1 Corinthians reminds us that this present, the present form of this world is passing away. And then he makes a very pointed application at the end of that verse in verse 11. He says, so also will the rich man fade away in the midst 
of his pursuit. The image there is that this rich man is in the midst. He's, he is pursuing. He is building. He is accumulating. And while he is doing all of those things, he is simultaneously fading away. While he's trying to build his kingdom, build his empire, build his wealth, at the same time, he's fading. Jeff Bezos gets picked on in churches whenever we talk about rich people. So here we are. It's his fault. He's accumulated a lot of wealth. As of this past week, according to Google, he's worth $126 billion. So how much of that is death going to cost him? All of it. All of it. That net worth is still going up in the midst of his pursuits. But he's not taking any of it with him. Because death is an ally to no one. It's a reminder that all things are temporary. And so natural things, they did not always fade away. As Christians, it's important for us to have a biblical worldview, a biblical understanding of the things that we see in this life. And if you have a biblical worldview and you read this metaphor about the sun and the grass and the flower, your mind should go back to Genesis chapter 2. Because in Genesis chapter 2, there was a day when the sun did not always scorch. As a matter of fact, there was a layer of moisture surrounding the earth that, that regulated the temperature of the earth and created the perfect environment for growth and sustainability and health. The flower did not always fall. Many believe that there were not seasons because of that layer of moisture. Beauty did not always perish back in Genesis. Death did not always exist. It was not until the fall of man. And so it was not always true that natural things faded away. But death came because of sin. Death is the consequence for sin. And so there is only one way for our temporal lives to be made eternal, and that is by partaking of the eternal life of Jesus Christ. To trade our temporary life that is stained by our sin, by the error and the wrong of our own doing, trading that for the eternal life of Jesus Christ that never diminishes and never fades away. That is the gospel. That is what we receive by faith in Jesus Christ alone. Not by trying to offer our temporary religion. Not by trying to offer our temporary works. Not by trying to offer our temporary traditions. But by partaking and receiving the free gift of the eternal life of Jesus Christ. So Christ came to remedy the consequence of death. And so while it was not always true that natural things faded, because of sin, death entered, and death is that constant reminder that all natural things come to an end. And the only way to escape that is through eternal life in Jesus Christ, faith in Him. So what I want to say to you this morning is this. Enjoy the temporal. There's nothing wrong with temporary things, the things of this life, but hold firmly to the eternal. When we moved to Arizona four years ago, we discovered that Arizona is unique and it's unlike the rest of the world because Arizona has two types of grass. Arizona has winter grass and Arizona has summer grass. I didn't know that. I've never lived anywhere else that had two types of grass. We only ever had summer grass. So my first fall and my first winter here, my grass went brown. My summer grass went dormant, which I thought was normal. Well, I'm walking around my neighborhood and everybody's got this luscious green grass. 
I'm like, what am I missing here? Like, am I not watering my grass? Am I not fertilizing my grass? Am I? And finally, somebody said, no, no, no. You have to plant winter grass. <laughs> okay. Two types of grass. So guess what I did the following winter? I planted winter grass. And winter grass lasts for about four months. And then it dies. But what do I do every single year? I plant my winter grass so that I can enjoy, with the rest of my neighbors, the luscious green grass during the winter season, only for that grass to wither and fade with the scorching sun and to die sometime around April. There's nothing wrong with winter grass. Enjoy your winter grass. Enjoy the temporary things of this life. Enjoy the things that, that your money allows you to buy. Enjoy the job that you have. Enjoy even the creation that God has given to us, even though even in that we see that that is fading away and it is temporary. Enjoy these things that are temporary, but don't ever turn temporary things into eternal things. Don't ever value temporary things as if they are eternal things. Don't ever place that kind of value on them. So enjoy your winter grass. Enjoy your flowers before they fade. But hold firmly to what is eternal. We have an eternal salvation in Jesus Christ. We hold firmly to that. The discipleship of your children, that is eternal. The discipleship of your grandchildren, that is eternal. The advancement of the gospel and his kingdom through his church, that is eternal. The opportunity that God is going to give you this week to share your faith with somebody at your work or somebody on that Zoom call or somebody at a coffee shop, that is eternal. Embrace that. Hold firmly to that. Enjoy what is temporary, but hold firmly to what is eternal. Second Corinthians, I read it just the other day, and it reminded me of this passage in James when Paul says, so we do not lose heart. Though our outward self is wasting away, the inner self is renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. Listen, for the things that are seen are transient. They are temporary, but the things that are unseen are eternal. So enjoy the temporary but hold firmly to the eternal. So if it seems like here at City Point Church we get excited about eternal things, there's a reason for it. There's a reason we get excited about a church plant turning four years old because that's eternal. There's a reason we get excited about what we're going to get excited about next week when we see four people come up on the stage and identify with Jesus in baptism and share their stories of transformation because that is not temporal. It's eternal. We get excited about the City Hope Resource Center because what we're doing is we are providing temporal resources with, with the desire to reach eternal souls. We get excited about those things. We hold firmly to those things. We are going to be that kind of church and may God allow us to always be that kind of a church that is holding firmly to those things that are permanent and eternal that are advancing the kingdom of God. It's who we are. It's what we rejoice in. We firmly hold gospel truth in a temporary world. We can't avoid how temporary this life is. We can't avoid that the sand just seems to constantly be falling through our fingers and we just never seem to grab a hold of anything in this life, but that's okay. Because we don't live for this life. We live for the one to come. 
We orient our lives. We prioritize our lives not around the temporary, but around the eternal. So the day is going to come. Dennis, it's going to come. Braden is going to beat me in basketball. It's only a matter of time. But the things of this life, while they fade away, we focus on the one who is eternal, the kingdom that he is building, the gospel that he's given to us to proclaim. We hold firmly to gospel truth. Here's that gospel truth. A humble life, we still possess spiritual wealth. You may not think you amount to much by the world's eyes. You might consider yourself humble and lowly, but you are wealthy spiritually. Lessons from trials are more valuable than riches. Are you paying attention? Are you paying attention? And all natural things come to an end. Enjoy them, but don't hold to them like temporary things are eternal. Hold to what is eternal. This morning, we want to learn to live. We do this every single week. We want to make applications, so I want to ask you three questions that I hope the Spirit of God will use to take this text and to bring it to bear in your life. Number one, do you firmly hold to the gospel? Do you firmly hold to the gospel? Please answer that question carefully. Because if you are holding firmly to anything other than the gospel, it is temporary. Your religion is temporary. The traditions that you were raised with, they're temporary. Your spirituality, you were sent to higher knowledge on your own, that's temporary. The only thing that will outlast this life is the eternal gospel of Jesus Christ. Do you firmly hold to that? There is only one way to firmly hold to the eternal gospel of Jesus Christ, and that is by putting faith in the finished work of Christ. To allow what he did on the cross to be the payment for your penalty, for your death, so that you could partake of his life and have that death transferred from your account to his account and his life transferred from his account to your account. Faith in Jesus. And if you have never done that, friend, would you do that today? Don't let another day go by. Trust Jesus. A second question is this. For those who have trusted Christ and who are firmly holding to the gospel, where have you stopped living according to gospel truth? This is gospel on the ground. This is not gospel in theory. This is gospel in your everyday life. So where have you stopped living according to what is true in the gospel? Is your humble life leaving you feeling spiritually impoverished? You've forgotten the gospel. Are you not paying attention in your trials? Christ is teaching you something. Are you holding fast to temporal things instead of holding fast to eternal things? Where have you stopped living according to the gospel truth? And then number three, how can you leverage the temporal for the sake of the eternal? When you consider the definition of mission, all of mission is leveraging what is temporal for what is eternal. My life is temporal. I want to leverage this temporal life for the eternal kingdom. My money, my finances, my budget, it's temporary, right? We can all attest to that. I want to leverage my finances for the sake of what is eternal. My relationships, the people that I know, the job that I have, all things in life, they're not, we're not trying to leverage temporary for temporary. That's what the world does. We leverage temporary for eternal. That's what Christians do. 
That is the mission that Christ has called us to. So what do you need to start leveraging in your life that is temporary for the sake of what is eternal? We firmly hold gospel truth in a temporary world. May God allow us to live according to the gospel and the teachings of Pastor James this week. Can we pray together? Father, we thank you for the privilege that is ours to be your sons, to be your daughters, to know Jesus, and to be known by Jesus. Lord, I want to pray this morning that if there is somebody here that does not put faith in Christ, I pray that your spirit would arrest their heart today. Open their eyes. Untie the knots of confusion in their hearts. Give crystal clarity to the reality that they are not yet a follower of Jesus. They might be a follower of Christianity even. They might be a follower of religion, but they are not a follower of the one true Christ. May you reveal that to them today and may they by faith begin to follow you. Do that now, Spirit. If there are Christians today and they have not been living according to what is true in the gospel, may we stop living for the temporary and may we set our eyes on the eternal to the one who is worthy of it all, to the one who has ascended the throne and to the one who has gifted to us eternal life. From you to you are all things. So God be glorified in our lives. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. To find out more about City Point Church, visit us online at citypointaz.com. You can also find us on social media at CityPointAZ. Be sure to leave a review, subscribe, and share this podcast with your friends. Now from us here at City Point Church, go seeking to live on mission for the glory of God with this truth stamped over your life that you are loved.